BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends. Welcome back to a very special edition of the Bill Press Pod with a very special guest today, author of a new and very controversial, very powerful book. You know, one of the most interesting questions of modern history is what role did the Vatican and Pope Pius XII play in World War II? Also one of the most hotly debated questions, by the way. Well, until recently, while there were many theories about that, it was really impossible to answer that question because the World War II archives of the Vatican were closed to the public. But Pope Francis changed that opening up the archives a few years ago, and David Kurtzer, our guest today, Pulitzer Prize-winning author and historian and professor at Brown University, was one of the first to gain access. Based on those never-before-seen Vatican archives, Kurtzer has just published a new book called The Pope at War, which tells the full story of what actions, if any, Pius XII took in face of Hitler's attempt to round up and murder all Jews in Europe. So, did Pius XII say or do anything to stop the Holocaust? David Kurtzer's book has the answer. David Kurtzer, good to talk to you, and thanks so much for joining us today on the Bill Press Pod. I'm happy to be with you. So, I must say, um, I read every single word of the book. I, your book, David, I found it very powerful, very authoritative. Uh, certainly very well documented and very well written, I might add. At the same time, I felt it as a Catholic totally shocking because it contradicted everything uh, growing up as a Catholic and through Catholic high school and college that I was ever taught about Pope Pius Twelfth. So first of all, I want to ask you, tell us about your sources. You you wrote this book based on new Vatican archives, is that correct, that were released? When were they released and by whom? Well, there'd been pressure on the Vatican to open its archives for World War II for many years, given the controversy, especially over the silence of the Pope during the Holocaust. And they finally, uh, Pope Francis announced in early 2019 that the following year, 2020, they would finally open those archives. So they opened on March 2nd, 2020. Uh, and, but that said, and they, they've been very important for, for my book, and they're filled with, I think, surprising developments mm-hmm. and uh, dramatic material. But it's also true that if you want to write this history, there's a lot of other archives that are very important. Uh, so that I worked, first of all, in the other Italian, the state archives, the fascist archives, uh, as well as the archives in Germany, in France, in Italy, in, in the U.S., and in, um, in England as well. And each of these countries had their own envoy or ambassador in the Vatican, who's right. basically reporting day by day throughout World War II what's going on there, including mm-hmm. their conversations with the Pope and the people right around the Pope. 
So it's by putting all those together that you really can form, I think, the most um, the most complete kind of view of what was going on in the Vatican in World War II. So let me ask you a few just factual questions to begin with. Based on uh, your research, did Pope Pius XII ever publicly condemn Hitler or Mussolini? No, he never did. And you know, this is, of course, part of what the controversy is about. His defenders say he didn't do it because uh, this way he could somehow be more effective in, among other things, saving Jews during the Holocaust. It was better that he didn't actually denounce the Nazis for trying to exterminate Europe's Jews. Uh, but the, what there can't really be debate about is what he publicly uh, said or didn't say, and he never condemned the, the Nazis or the, the fascists during World War II. Did he know uh, that the Nazis were rounding up Jews in uh, Italy and France and Holland and uh, Poland and sending them to their death camps? And did he ever say anything about it publicly? No, he never said anything about it publicly, really, other than uh, his... Did he, did he know? Yes. No, he knew. He was getting reports, uh, certainly beginning by early '42. Uh, of the German attempts to exterminate the Jews in Europe. He was getting reports. You have to remember that in occupied Europe, there was a whole network of uh, Catholic institutions, um, you know, bishops with their dioceses sending in reports to the Vatican, for example. Uh, there was also a, a local uh, Roman priest who was a chaplain with the uh, Italian forces. He was going back and forth on the hospital train from Rome to uh, the Eastern Front, to Poland, to Ukraine, to Soviet Union, and reporting a meeting with the Pope and sending him reports, long reports, on the mass murder of the Jews of Europe. Uh, so there are multiple sources, including the uh, Ukrainian uh, archbishop in charge of the Roman Catholic Church in Ukraine, reporting on the mass murder of uh, Jews there. So the Pope was, was well aware of, of what was going on, perhaps not all the details of all the concentration camps, but he knew that uh, I mean, he's getting reports of millions of Jews being slaughtered. And um, third, thirdly, did the Pope know uh, that Jews were being rounded up in Rome by the Nazis <laughs> when they occupied Rome, right in the shadow of the Vatican? And did he ever do any ever publicly condemn that? No, in fact, this is one of the um, I think shocking, the most shocking things about the silence of the Pope. That in Rome itself, and then the Pope, by the way, was Roman, not only Italian, but he was mm -hmm. Roman. The um, on October 16th, the, the Germans took over much of Italy, including Rome, in early September 1943. Uh, a month later, about 350 SS were sent with lists of all the Jews in Rome to go house by house, knocking on the doors, uh, arresting all they could find, and they sent them initially. This was October 16th to a military college just outside the walls of Vatican City and held them there for two days uh, before they sent over a thousand of them on a train to their death at Auschwitz. Uh, the Pope heard about the roundup as it was going on. And in fact, he called on his Secretary of State, the Cardinal Secretary of State is kind of number two, to summon the German ambassador to the Holy See. Uh, and we have a, uh, an actual pretty much transcript made by the Cardinal himself of his meeting with the German ambassador. And in that meeting, a rather dramatic meeting, uh, the Cardinal says, oh, this is you know, really terrible. You can't imagine uh, how much this hurts the, uh, the Holy Father to see this happen in, in his own city. Uh, isn't there something you can do about it? 
And the uh, German ambassador responds, well, you know, this was actually ordered by the highest authority, namely, of course, Hitler. And um, do you really want me to complain to, to him about this? And the cardinal responds, oh, I didn't say that. He said, I, I leave to your judgment whether to say anything about this. And of course, he doesn't. Uh, two days later, uh, the, the Jews are then uh, sent on the train to Auschwitz, where the day they arrive, most would be sent directly to the gas chambers. Well, there were certain Jews, correct, that the Pope did express so con some concern about, namely Jews who'd been baptized Catholics. Yes, in fact, just last week, uh, the Vatican announced to a certain amount of uh, fanfare that they were uh, releasing to the general public uh, one set of uh, files from these newly opened archives, the files having to do with the Jews. It's actually called the Jews file. Mm. And it, and as they uh, portray it, it has 2,700 cases of, of Jews who uh, called for help from the Vatican. This is part of their explanation how effective the uh, church, the Vatican, and the Pope were in uh, dealing with the Holocaust by working behind the scenes rather than publicly coming out in criticism. Mm -hmm. uh, but it turns out that these are overwhelmingly not Jews, but Catholics. But they're Catholics who were being treated as Jews uh, because either they were Jews who had converted to, had been baptized in some earlier period, or had parents who were Jews, even though they were Catholics. And these were the people, overwhelmingly, that the uh, the Pope and the Church came to the support of. So the, there were selective Jews, right, if you will, that were... Uh, that well, the, it's that, also, you know, one thing that's revealing, I think, uh, when we you know, were returning to that roundup on October 16th, 1943, of the Jews, initially 1,260 were arrested uh, and held at that military college, but only a little over 1,000, about 1,007 or so. Mm -hmm. were actually sent two days later on the train. So who were the you know, 250 who were let go? Uh, what was the process that the Germans went through to decide who should be freed? And the process was determining what their uh, baptismal credentials were. And so, so those who, who could show that they were baptized Jews mm -hmm. uh, were let go, or even those who were married to Catholics and who had pledged to uh, raise their children as Catholics, they were let go too. Well, one of many things I learned uh, from your book, uh, David, is that uh, the Nazis were able to say with a certain amount of uh, authority, well, we're not doing anything other than murder, but we're not doing anything by rounding up the Jews that the popes didn't do in the past. Yes, you have to realize that the, the Holocaust came after many countries in uh, Europe, Christian countries introduced so-called racial laws including Italy. Yeah. These were laws in the Italian case, for example, in 1938, uh, they introduced the racial laws, which basically uh, threw Jews out of their work, uh, sent all the Jewish, uh, expelled all the Jewish children from the public schools and Jewish teachers and professors and so on. Um, and the, the church did not object to this. And it was justified in, in good part by the fascist state as just following uh, church policy. The previous popes had always uh, put into place when they had the power to do so. Uh, so this was the context. Of course, as you said, the church never called for the mass murder of the Jews. This was, you know, a step too far. Uh, but the the church policies were constantly being uh, used, certainly in Italy, by the fascist state to justify their anti-Semitic measures.
Yeah, I think you point out it was Pius the Fourth, perhaps, or Paul the Fourth, the one of the popes, anyhow, who who um, ordered the the Jews in Rome to be kept in the ghetto, right? And, right, that was back in the in the fifteen hundreds, is when mm-hmm. the Jews uh, were were confined, began to be confined to ghettos in Rome and expelled from many of the cities, the papal states, uh, where there all the cities where there wasn't going to be a ghetto. Were any Jews given refuge uh, in? The inside of the Vatican, and was that um, a policy of the popes? No, it certainly wasn't a policy of the popes. There were a number of, not a large number, but there were, let's say, dozens of people uh, who were took refuge in the Vatican City uh, during the war, and uh, or maybe even more than dozens, all if you count them up all together. Uh, but they, first of all, they were largely not Jews, but there were other kinds of refugees. Uh, there were some some Jews, but the Jews who got in were almost all Jews who had somehow uh, snuck in uh, and uh, got to remain there. At one point, as I document in my book from these newly open archives, the Pope uh, had all the refugees ordered out, uh, afraid that it would offend the uh, Germans who were occupying Rome, but was convinced by other cardinals in the end and not to, to do so. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, the popes, you've mentioned the popes, uh, while the pope was silent, what about the Vatican newspaper? What about the Vatican radio? Any criticism of uh, uh, Mussolini or Hitler or their governments and their practices? Well, in the last days of his predecessor, uh, Pius XI, so now we're talking about uh, the end of 38 and early 39, mm-hmm. the Vatican newspaper had a whole series of uh, very critical articles about Nazi Germany criticizing its policy as it saw it of persecuting the Catholic Church in Germany. And one of the first things that Pius XII did when he became Pope in, in March of 1939 was to order send an order to the head of the Vatican newspaper to stop the criticisms of Germany, and which they did. Mm. Uh, and so this policy uh, would continue. When... Um, in the early months of the war, this is before Italy got involved. Italy only joined the war in uh, June of 1940. So in the early months of the war before Italy was involved, the Vatican newspaper would print uh, press releases from the different governments on war developments. Uh, but once Italy joined the war, they would no longer do that because Mussolini objected and uh, was able to intimidate the Pope sufficiently that they no longer uh, printed any of that kind of war news. Uh, yeah, you give several examples where um, uh, complaints were made to the Vatican by either German authorities or Italian authorities about an editorial or an article that they didn't think was uh, uh, favorable enough. It might be might have been read as uh, critical of either government, and the Pope went out of his way to make sure that the people at the Vatican newspaper and the Vatican uh, radio station um knew that he was unhappy and that they should not do so uh, again. But let me come back to the Pope's silence, uh, David. Again, based on your research, why? What, what, what possible explanation is there for a man who was seen as the moral leader of the world not to say anything? Well, I think partly we need to look at when, you know, when during the war, because I think the motivation to some extent changes or evolves in the first uh, years of the war, particularly after the uh, German invasion west, uh, of uh, the f- it just happened so quickly. I mean, no one expected uh, that within more or less a month, the German army could march through the Netherlands, Belgium, and uh, mm-hmm. take Paris. 
and drive in kind of ignominious fashion the British from you know Dunkirk from the continent. So many in Europe, perhaps most, thought that Hitler and his pal Mussolini were going to win the war. And so the Pope, a good part of his motivation in those years was, how do I protect the institutional church, which he saw as his main uh, role as Pope, uh, in a Europe that could be dominated by by the Germans and the uh, Italian fascists? And there, this is one reason that he wanted to stay on Mussolini's good side, too, because he saw Mussolini as his... Uh, best bet as intercessor with Hitler, because the fascist, the Italian fascist regime, had uh, basically made a, a kind of alliance with with the Church, and were strong supporters of the Church. Uh, whereas, from the Pope's point of view, the uh, Germans and and Hitler were, in fact, eroding the the power and influence of the Church in Germany. Uh, so, so this is the the basic attitude was protecting the Church. I think. By the latter years of, let's say, by the end of 42, the beginning of 43, when it becomes uh, increasingly likely that, in fact, the Axis would uh, lose the war, uh, the Pope had other considerations. Uh, and one of them was that uh, if he were to criticize the Germans as they were losing the war, the German Catholics would turn against him. And you know, we have to remember, you know, who was it who was waging this war? Who was it who was... Uh, uh, we're doing the crimes of the Holocaust. We're murdering you know, Jewish children and old people and, en masse and so on. And there were people who thought they were Christians, and about uh, close to half of them were, were Catholics. They weren't people who thought of themselves as pagans. And so if the Pope were to uh, criticize them and they were also then to, to lose, they might, the Pope feared, uh, blame him for uh, their loss in the war. And this could create a schism in the church in Germany. Italian Catholics. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, that's a very good question. In fact, uh, one of the things that I, I point out in my book is that the uh, the controversy over the silence of the Pope, which today we tend to link uh, exclusively with the Holocaust, actually began before the Holocaust and had not to do with the Jews, but with, with cult Poles and Catholic Poles. Uh, so the controversy over the silence of the Pope really began the day after the war began, which is normally uh, dated to September 1st, 1939, with the German invasion of Poland. And uh, the Germans were going to uh, consider the Western part of Poland as part of the Third Reich. Uh, it, of course, was heavily uh, Roman Catholic. And the, uh, the Nazis saw the priests as among the main obstacles that they uh, mm -hmm. had there because the priests they saw as kind of fonts of Polish nationalism and kind of community leaders in a nationalist cause. So that, in fact, they arrested uh, many scores, perhaps hundreds of Roman Catholic priests in, in Poland and sent them to concentration camps. Uh, so that, and in, in this context, the Polish Catholics and the Polish ambassador of the Holy See, for example, were complaining to the Pope or begging him to speak out against what was happening, and the Pope refused. Uh, you know, why did he refuse? Well, again, uh, partly it was his uh, fear of uh, Hitler dominating in Europe and needing not to antagonize him. Uh, but it is revealing that even that it wasn't because some would attribute his silence to the in the Holocaust simply to anti-Semitism. Uh, but you, it's put in somewhat different light when you see the silence also in the case of the invasion of Poland and what happened to the, the Polish priests being sent to concentration camps. Uh, and the Pope was also, as you point out, um, hesitant to speak out perhaps because he was afraid of communism 
and uh, the threat of communism, uh, if the allies were to win, right, uh, how, that the communists might um, take over Italy and, again, uh, hurt the church. Well, this became an increasing fear as the tide of the war changed. So now mm -hmm. when we look at the last uh, years and months of the war, uh, this increasingly became the Pope's fear that you know, earlier um, the question was how to protect the church in a Europe dominated by the Nazis. But now the worry was what if uh, Germany were defeated by the Allies? And, and although often in the U.S. we think of the Allies primarily as uh, the, the Americans and the Brits, of course, the Soviet Union was an important part of the Allies, and, and from the Soviet Union point of view, actually the determining cause in the loss of the uh, by the Germans. So, the Pope was worried as the Red Army began moving westward uh, mm -hmm. that it would end up taking over between the military action of the Red Army and uprisings by communists in in Western Europe. Uh, that by the end of the war, if Germany were totally defeated, it would result in Europe dominated by the communists and the communists, of course, seen as uh, enemies of the church. Uh, you also point out that one time the Pope um, was willing to speak out and did um, on several occasions was to protest the bombing of Rome uh, and to demand that Rome remain asking President Roosevelt and, and Churchill to make Rome an open city, no bombing of Rome. Uh, yeah, how did that play out? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, if you if you read the Vatican archives, there are just hundreds of pages dealing with the Pope's attempts to get Rome declared an open city and prevent the Allies from bombing Rome. I mean, the Germans never bomb Rome; just the Allies. Uh, and what the Allies will respond is, well, Rome is filled with with uh, military targets. It's first of all, of course, the capital of one of the major Axis powers. It also has military command there, and uh, would also have uh, German military forces as well. It would become a major uh, point for German uh, troops eventually to go to the south to fight the Allies once the Allies land in, in Sicily in 43. Uh, so the Vatican is constantly involved in a negotiation with the Italian fascist government to get them to uh, agree to remove military targets from the city so it can so the, they can get the Allies to agree not to bomb it. Uh, they never, of course, get the military, the Axis military out of Rome. Uh, but still, the Pope threatens that he's going to have to speak out, mm -hmm. uh, threatens, that is Roosevelt and Churchill, that if they bomb uh, Rome, he will uh, speak out and denounce it. Uh, and Rome is finally is bombed in uh, July of uh, 1943, and then again in August, and several times after that. And the Pope does uh, denounce the bombing. What the Pope doesn't say is that the targets were military <laughs> targets that they were bombing. Right. Uh, and I was really struck by one comment um, that you found, I guess, in the archives by the German, and I believe it was the German ambassador to the Holy See, Mr. Weizsäcker, was that how you yes, pronounce Weizsäcker, that Yes, Weizsäcker, yes. Right. Who told the authorities in Berlin, namely Hitler, uh, that Pope Pius XII works six days a week for Germany and on the seventh day, he prays for the Allies. Yes, well, that's that's, tr that's true. Yeah, and it seems shocking. Uh, but uh, you know, to be fair, you have to put this in certain context. The German ambassador to the Holy See, Weizsäcker, uh, but also his predecessor in the earlier years of the war, are constantly trying to uh, put the Pope in a good light with respect to, to Hitler and and the uh, government in the Nazi government in Germany, and so they're 
constantly trying to uh, present the Pope as basically sympathetic to their cause and certainly not doing anything that would upset them. So, um, well, the Pope himself, though, if you, if you see uh, when he was meeting with, uh, among other people with Weizsäcker, he would tell them, look, I've worked very hard throughout the war uh, never to say anything that could be seen as criticism of Germany. And, um, you know, this has not always been easy because I've been under great pressure to speak out against it, but yet I've held, held the line. Uh, so I wouldn't, I, you know, I don't think it's fair to the Pope to say he was working yeah. six days for Germany and one for the <laughs> Allies. Uh, but it uh, does reflect the uh, the ability of both sides. I mean, this is what you see, actually, that both sides were able to use, uh, choose words from the Pope, Pope speeches to say that the Pope was on their side. So we know the Pope was silent uh, during World War II, as we've discussed, um, sadly so. Uh, the Vatican, David, has not been silent about the release of your book. Uh, I want to ask you about that after we take a quick break here uh, on the Bill Press Pod. So hang there for just a moment, and we'll be right back. Today's podcast brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Yes, those good men and women, 1.3 million working men and women strong members of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. They service all of us in many, many different ways at our big retail stores like Nordstrom and Macy's. The people that take care of us at our great grocery chains like Safeway and Whole Foods. Those on the front line and our meat and poultry processing plants, chemical plants, and cannabis plants. We thank the men and women of the UFCW for their great work taking care of all of us Americans, and we thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Go to their website, check it out at ufcw.org. You'll be amazed at all the good causes they're involved in. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with today's very special guest, David Kurtzer. He's a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and historian. Uh, his latest book, The Pope at War, The Secret History of Pius XII, Mussolini, uh, and Hitler. So um, maybe even before your book came out, David, uh, people at the Vatican were reading it. Uh, they're not happy with it, I hear. What are they telling you? <laughs> yes, well, the book actually came out in Italy uh, a few days before it came out in the United States. Um, so at the end of May uh, of this year, and the I guess predictably, although I find this kind of sad, that there's still this unwillingness in the Vatican to come to terms with this uh, difficult history, and it's reflected in the the Vatican reaction to the book. So 
on um, a, a week or two after the book came out, the uh, daily newspaper of the Vatican, Lozaretto Romano, published a big kind of two-page spread denouncing the book. It was then picked up uh, a couple of days later by the daily newspaper of the uh, church hierarchy in, in Italy, Avenire. Uh, the latter, by the way, written by someone who apparently didn't bother to read the book, but that didn't prevent him from this uh, rather virulent denunciation. So, you know, this one might have hoped, at least I had hoped, that with Pope Francis, perhaps they'd finally be willing to begin to face this history uh, in the way that the national churches elsewhere, like France or Germany, have done, as the Catholic Church in, in Germany most recently, uh, asked for um, forgiveness for the fact that during the, the war, the church uh, in the Catholic Church in Italy supported the, the war and never spoke out against the uh, mass murder of uh, the Jews by the Germans. Uh, but the Vatican, and not only the Vatican, but also the Italian church, and of course, Italy was on the Axis side, and the Italian church strongly supported Catholics uh, taking part in the war on the Axis side. Uh, they basically are, seem unwilling still to come to terms with this history. By the way, just on that one point, uh, I was struck too um, it, it, that the Catholic church uh, in Italy during the war, the bishops, the priests, they were leading prayers and telling their congregation, right, to pray for an Axis victory. Yes, and held special masses uh, for this purpose. They also, um, the uh, main organizations of church laity, uh, the Catholic Action Italy, all the heads um, immediately as soon as the Italy joined the war, uh, put out statements saying that all good Catholics needed to do their uh, patriotic and Christian duty and join in the war effort. So the and the church, uh, there are a number of uh, Catholic daily newspapers, prominent newspapers in Italy. Uh, of course, there were censorships. Their their news items were, you know, not going to be critical, uh, nor can they publish anything critical of the war. Uh, but the directors of those papers would write these uh, stirring. Uh, denunciations of the uh, allies and stirring calls for all good Catholics to take part in the war. And these are in their um, in their editorials on the front page. So uh, Mussolini was uh, dependent in part on the church to drum up support for the war. I mean, the, it's not that Italians were that eager to go to war on Germany's side. They just fought a war not that long before against Germany. Nor were they all that uh, happy with German notions of Aryan superiority. So uh, Mussolini would have a problem on his hands if the Pope did anything to discourage Italians from joining the war. So is it at all fair to say that during World War II, Pius XII was, remained neutral? Well, that was his public posture, and at some level, of course, it's true. Um, he hoped to play the role of a mediator and bring about a compromised peace in the war, something the the Allies uh, rejected. They wanted unconditional surrender only. Um, but he also, um, perhaps this is a little bit brutal to say, but I think was playing a kind of double game because he was also uh, the primate, in effect, of the Catholic Church of of Italy, there was no cardinal yeah, primate. There right. would, way there would be in Poland or other countries because the Pope is Bishop of Rome, was basically head of the Italian Church too. Not only the Church um, worldwide, and uh, the clergy, as we were talking about before, as you pointed out, the clergy under him in Italy uh, were calling on Italians to be supportive of the Axis War. 
he obviously was hardly um, unaware of this. So, yes, he was neutral in his role as Supreme Pontiff of all the faithful, uh, but he wasn't neutral as Bishop of Rome and head of the church hierarchy in Italy. What do you think this uh, whole uh, controversy, renewed controversy, thanks to your book, might do to the calls um, for sainthood for Pius XII? Derail him? Well, you have to realize that Pius XII is a hero to conservatives in the church. And in fact, uh, many of the opponents of Pope Francis, those who see him as too progressive, uh, would turn to the memory of Pius XII as you know, the model of what a pope should be. Uh, you can go to Twitter on almost any day and see tweets saying Pius XII was actually the last pope that after him there was no legitimate pope. That you know, Because the, in their view, the church went wrong with the Second Vatican Council um, and its liberalization. So just as with... Uh, the strong supporters of Trump that <laughs> what we're yeah. seeing these days with the um, the commission uh, investigating uh, January 6th and so forth, it seems that nothing can change their mind. It's not that any kind of facts uh, or historical evidence is going to make any difference. And, and one wonders, I think, at least with the hardcore supporters of sainthood for Pius XII, uh, I think there's very little that any historian could produce uh, that's going to change their minds. But uh, Hopefully, there there are people who are you know less informed, less invested. Who, uh, if they you know, read my book or other uh, mm -hmm. books that will will come out in the future based on serious history of these things, uh, will uh, have perhaps a different view of Pius XII than the one that's being promulgated uh, by the Church at the moment. You mentioned uh, Pope Francis. I have to ask you. Let's flash forward to today. Uh, and the war in Ukraine, it's in some cases similar to the position that Pius XII had in the middle of World War II. Um, how do you think Francis has done in terms of moral leadership when it comes to the war in Ukraine? He has not, to my knowledge, condemned Vladimir Putin. No. And yeah, so to, I think you're right. There are certain parallels. There are also some important differences, I think. But um, the Pope had, you know, he had worked hard to, as part of his effort to bring together the various Christian denominations uh, and then the hostility among and rivalries among them, he had been working for years to um, have better relations with the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, he met with Archbishop Kirill, the head of the church in Cuba. I was going to meet him again uh, in the next months. That's been put off. Uh, Putin came to visit him three times at Vatican City, and he was photographed with Putin. So uh, I'm sure that from his point of view and people around him, they're worried about kind of throwing all that out the window. On the other hand, uh, you know, for obvious reasons to not say anything is difficult. I think that the risk he runs is a risk that Pius XII also ran, which is by trying to um, be even-handed in some way, for example, recently he again uh, seemed to criticize NATO as having been provocative in, in uh, uh, its expansion and somehow provoking uh, Putin to invade Ukraine. That uh, in a place like uh, Russia today, or, uh, just as in Germany during World War II, you have state control of the media. So that although you may say some critical things, uh, but if you say some good things, you can be sure the only thing that's going to be quoted are the things that are seen as favorable to your side. And I'm sure that's, I don't read Russian, but I'd be very surprised if that weren't true of the media uh, covering the Pope's remarks in, in Russia today. 
so this this is the the risk that I think the Pope runs. Uh, the difference, from my point of view, is that the uh, in this case the aggressor is not principally or even largely a Roman Catholic population, and so um, you know the kind of responsibility that I think uh, Pius XII had for denouncing the aggression against uh, Poland and then subsequently the Holocaust and so on uh, has to do with the fact that the perpetrators were, or many of them were Roman Catholic, where he presumably would have some influence. So at the very conclusion uh, of the book, uh, where you give your own thoughts on the silence of the Pope, uh, uh, David, uh, you quote uh, uh, someone else, I think, referring to Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 21, I'm paraphrasing, woe to them who have eyes but do not see and ears but do not hear. Uh, And then, which I think fits Pius XII, and then you sum up, as a moral leader, Pius XII must be judged a failure, a moral failure, failing moral leadership. Uh, Is that, you think, the ultimate historical account of the reign of Pius XII? Well, I, you know, it's difficult for a historian to talk about the ultimate <laughs> historical okay. judgment. And in fact, my um, Random House, my publisher here um, in some of their publicity uh, initial drafts, I said, this book is the definitive account of the Pope in World War II. And I said, no, we can't, can't say that as a historian. Um, the, there'll be other details, other uh, insights that will undoubtedly come out uh, in the future. But I think I'm pretty confident in the judgment that, you know, if you think of the Pope as having two major responsibilities, one to the institutional church, uh, but also to serve as a moral guide, that the Pope could be seen as having been successful in the first in protecting the institutional church uh, during uh, World War II, a very difficult, uh, challenging time. But it's very hard for me to see him as successful as a moral leader, that um, to see Christianity used to help justify the extermination of um, you know 60% of the Jews of Europe while he says nothing. Um, this to me is a, a moral failure of uh, you know, major proportions. So uh, it's hard to avoid that kind of judgment. Uh, and you have laid it out with great uh, historical accuracy and specificity in your book, The Pope at War, The Secret History of Pius XII Mussolini, uh, and Hitler. Uh, we will have a link, David, uh, to uh, buy the book on the, uh, in the notes to this podcast. Uh, and with that, uh, congratulations on a great book. Uh, and thank you for spending some time with us on the Bill Press Pod. Thank you. And that's it for today's podcast with David Kurtzer. Again, the name of the book is The Pope at War. Uh, I got to tell you, it will knock your socks off. It is very, very well written, very well documented and a powerful, if sad, story. Uh, And there's a link to purchase the book in the episode notes of today's podcast. A big thanks to David Kurtzer. And a big thanks to all of you, as always, for listening. Always good to have you on board. Take care of yourselves, and we'll be back on Friday. Hope to see you then, back on Friday, with the next edition of the Bill Press Pod and our Reporters Roundtable. Till then, take care. 